Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Crossover Across Time podcast for the Tuesday edition of week four. Um, today, uh, first of all, I'm your host, Karsten. I forget to introduce myself every time, but I'm Karsten. Um, on today's show, we are running solo again. Uh, simply was not able to coordinate times for a co-host for today's show, for, so I apologize for that. But uh, tomorrow we should be joined by Justin again. Uh, in the meantime, we're going to take you through the Tuesday uh, schedule, and especially with the slate of games from yesterday. Again, 15 different games yesterday, all of the NBA teams played uh, so that there would not be any games today because it is election day. Uh, so we'll just skip the intro. We'll jump right into things and talk about our game summaries. Again, 15 games, all 30 teams in action. So we've got a lot to cover here. Thankfully, well, it's sad to have a day where there's not NBA games. But for our purposes, it helps because now I have a chance to kind of get caught up and to get refreshed going into tomorrow's slate of games because uh, there will be, I believe, 13 games on tomorrow's slate. So that will be exciting to, to get back into the action. Um, <clears throat> we'll go ahead and go, I believe, in order of when these games happened uh, throughout the night yesterday. Firstly, the Washington Wizards at the Charlotte Hornets. They were able to win that game 108 to 100. Um, both teams were without their star guards, of course, uh, for Washington, Bradley Beal, and we'll talk about that in a second. Lamelo Ball was out, I think, with some sort of a minor injury or perhaps a rest issue. Um, regardless, the Wizards were able to get some nice help off their bench as they pulled away from the Hornets and won that game in Charlotte. Next, the Houston Rockets at the Orlando Magic. Uh, Second-year guard Jalen Green outdueled the exciting rookie forward Paolo Bancaro. Uh, I believe he had, what, 30, 34 points? Yeah, and he was pretty efficient shooting as well. Uh, and what else? Shangun, the center for the Rockets, had a 20-10 and 10 game. Both teams were aided by a 20-point score off the bench, but Houston gets a win on the road, 134-127, to 127, a pretty highly scoring affair there in Orlando. <clears throat> Next. The Detroit Pistons at home versus the Oklahoma City Thunder. The Pistons were able to come away with a win there, 112 to 103. Uh, at one point, the Pistons were down 16 in this game, uh, thanks to a big game from Shea Gilders Alexander, who we'll talk about a little bit more as well later on. He's been having a huge year so far. Uh, but the Pistons came back. They had a very balanced attack, uh, not only with scoring, but they had three players including Isaiah Stewart, the starting center, and their two star guards in the backcourt. All three of those guys were in double figures rebounding, as well as, I believe, six or seven players in double figures scoring. So Detroit able to rally, uh, come back, and win that game at home. Next, the Indiana Pacers versus the New Orleans Pelicans in Indiana. The Pacers win that game 129 to 122. Uh Pacers starters all scored 15 or more points, and Miles Turner had a very nice game, 37 points, 12 boards. Uh, New Orleans didn't have a necessarily bad game. They could have used some more scoring from McCollum, but regardless, Indiana had a strong night. Uh, both those teams sit at 5-5 five and five after Indiana's win there. Next, 
the 76ers at home versus the Phoenix Suns. Uh, big story here, of course, Chris Paul left the game early uh, with a heel injury of some sort. We reported that yesterday in the news segment. Embiid um, had a solid game, and the Sixers overall just had a little bit more to work with and were able to, to get that win at home against uh, Phoenix, who has dropped from their leading spot in the Western Conference. That was a 100-88 victory for the 76ers. Next, the undefeated Bucks are no more. They lost on the road in Atlanta, one seventeen to ninety eight. Atlanta had a great game to be able to beat the Bucks. No Trey Young, even, but it was no problem for Atlanta. Uh, there was a second half rally that really pulled them ahead, and AJ Griffin, the rookie, had a, a pretty nice game for them off the bench to really uh, solidify their effort against Milwaukee. So they're able to come away with the win again. That was one seventeen to ninety eight. Next, probably one of the bigger stories from yesterday's slate, uh, the Trailblazers on the road in Miami, the Portland Trailblazers on the road against the Miami Heat, able to win that game 110 to 107 right at the end. Heat had a balanced attack. They were fairly productive. The Trailblazers made a, a late rally to, to bring the game close. Max Struess hits a three in the corner to tie the game with just a few seconds left. Uh, no timeouts, or at least no timeout called. Uh, but Lillard pushes it up to Josh Hart in the corner, and he drills a game-winning three right at the buzzer to seal the win for the Trailblazers, who keep a strong start going. And they beat Miami in Miami again, 110-107 to 107 for Portland in that game. Just a side note, looking at Josh Hart's stat line from that game, I was – Surprised to see how many rebounds he's averaging. Ten games in, he started all ten games for Portland, and he's averaging eight and a half rebounds per game as a six-five shooting guard. Um, I thought that might be an outlier for his career, but actually, if you look at his uh, career numbers, he's always been a pretty solid rebounder for a guard or a very above-average rebounder. Um, so, just a side note, kind of an interesting uh, metric to take note of there. But regardless. Uh, it's not just the rebounding, but his offense, he's able to help the Trailblazers win that game. Next, the Chicago Bulls at home versus the Raptors. Um, and this was a pretty dominant performance for Chicago, especially in the second half. They were able to pull away with this game. Uh, Van Vliet, solid game for Toronto, but Levine, a little bit better, 30 points on very efficient shooting. The rest of the team able to play solid enough around him. Raptors didn't get as much help from their starters as maybe they would like. And so Chicago wins at home against the Raptors, 111-97. Next, the Boston Celtics on the road against the Memphis Grizzlies. Boston led the game throughout most of it. Uh, got a little bit tense at the end as Memphis kind of cut that lead. Seemed like they were battling throughout, but Boston uh, maintained a pretty solid lead. Uh, Morant, pretty great game. I mean, 30 points, eight rebounds, nine assists. Hard to argue with that. Tatum, just a little bit better, 39 points. Um, not ultra efficient from the floor. Gets some help from Jalen Brown. Uh, Marcus Smart chips in with 12 assists, as well as his great defensive play. Uh, came down to free throws towards the end, but Boston was able to seal it with some, some free throws. I think both teams had kind of a back and forth with Missed free throws, but then Grant Williams hit some free throws to kind of help uh, secure that lead and secure a victory. So Boston wins in Memphis, 109 to 106. 
believe we are almost two thirds of the way. There's a lot of games to get through, but we're getting we're getting through them. Next, the New York Knicks won on the road in Minnesota against the Timberwolves, one twenty to one hundred seven. Uh, and this game, from what I've seen, was pretty much a rout. Knicks led big most of the way. Timberwolves didn't uh, put up much of a, a fight, in a sense, if you want to say it that way. Uh, the Timberwolves were without Rudy Gobert in this game. Meanwhile, uh, the Knicks, if you want to call them their big three of Julius Randle. R.J. Barrett and Jalen Brunson, the new free agent signing. Those three combined for 76 points. They have some solid scoring along with that to uh, secure the victory in Minnesota against the Timberwolves. Again, 120 to 107. <clears throat> Next, the Denver Nuggets were on the road against the San Antonio Spurs, and they were also able to win a road game there. Keldon Johnson had a very great game. He's been playing very well for San Antonio, 30 points. Uh, I think his percentages are pretty solid as well. Uh, but Denver, a little bit better team all around. Uh, if you want to call it Denver's a little big three of, of course, Jokic, uh, Jamal Murray. And if you want to claim Michael Porter Jr. is the other guy and, you know, their three best. Uh, they all had a great game combining for just nearly 70 points, fairly similar to the Knicks situation. Uh, Jokic 10 assists along with eight rebounds and the Nuggets win in San Antonio, 115 to 109. Four games left. We're 11 games through four games left in our summary from last night's action. The Mavericks were at home versus the Brooklyn Nets. This was a pretty back and forth affair throughout. It wasn't ultra high scoring uh, as compared to a lot of these other games, but the Mavericks able to win at home 96 to 94, pretty close towards the end. Um, Maverick is just kind of pulled to a victory by yet another strong game from Luka Doncic. Uh, we will again talk about him later, uh, especially with our award race conversation in this particular game, 36 points, six rebounds, six assists, solid defensive numbers, high turnovers and fouls, well, especially high fouls, but I mean, he's, he's doing it all for them. 38 minutes and he's able to power them to a victory against the Brooklyn Nets, again, still without Kyrie Irving serving that suspension. <clears throat> then the Warriors were at home versus the Sacramento Kings, and the struggling Warriors were actually uh, trailing most of this game to the the less talented Sacramento Kings. Um, for the Kings, Harrison Barnes, there's one of their starting forwards, actually was held scoreless in this game, surprisingly. Um, but then... Steph Curry does did what Steph Curry does, and he scored 17 of his points in the fourth quarter. He had 47 total points in this game, along with eight rebounds, eight assists, really powering this Warriors team who were having a little bit of a sluggish game with some of their other players. You know, Draymond and Clay, those guys were doing okay, but Curry really powered this team in that uh, late game stretch to be able to win the game. Wiggins chipped in 25 of his own points to further solidify their their point total and help them win this game. Uh, that was 116 to 113. The Golden State Warriors beat the Sacramento Kings at home. Uh, last two games, the Utah Jazz at home versus the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers were without LeBron, and that certainly didn't hurt the Jazz effort as they were able to win this game. The Utah Jazz had seven players in double figures scoring as well as Mike Conley racking up 12 assists. 
a great all-round effort from Utah, and they win big at home, 139-116 to against the Lakers. Uh, great win for Utah. And finally, the Los Angeles Clippers at home versus the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, Cavaliers actually led for a good chunk of this game, uh, probably most of this game. Uh, but the Clippers went on a great fourth quarter run. They uh, outworked the Cavs and even managed to outwork Jarrett Allen's 20 rebounds in this game. Uh, they hit some, you know, free throws late to, you know, make the game close and then pull ahead. Kevin Love actually grabs the rebound off the missed free throw uh, after the Clippers went up two and launches a, a basically a full court shot that hits the backboard it you know had every possibility of going in and and suddenly winning the game for cleveland but it did not go down to the wire but the los angeles clippers win at home against the cavaliers they end the cavaliers winning streak uh final score 119 to 117 um so that takes us through all of the action all 15 games from last night's slate again no games tonight because of the uh election day so that summarizes pretty much everything from from last night's action a lot of the big performances let's go ahead and segue into our next topic uh key news from the last couple of days firstly pascal siakam will be out at least two weeks with an abductor strain um within or at the point of that two weeks when that comes around two weeks from uh i think Sunday or it might have been Monday when that news came around two weeks from then he will be reevaluated and he could potentially play uh, at that point or he might need further time will just remain to be seen but he is out at least two weeks with that injury Cameron Johnson uh, did have that surgery on the torn meniscus and should return within one to two months um, again, that's a big loss for Phoenix, but it is great to hear that he will be able to potentially return within the season uh, and not have to mit- miss too much time. Um, again, he was starting for them in the place of Jay Crowder, so it's going to be a big loss for them. They'll have to figure out how to make it work in his absence. Um, but me- in the meantime, he'll be recovering from that surgery. Bradley Beal is in health and safety protocols. Um, of course, these have come within the last couple of years due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, So he is in health and safety protocols. Um, There weren't a lot of details provided on this, um, but he, you imagine he'll miss probably the next game and potentially the game after, but uh, hopefully be back sooner than later. A small note from Monday's action, Benedict Mathurin and Dyson Daniels uh, are two NBA Academy graduates and they, uh, had a little history-making moment of their own. There, it was the first time two NBA Academy graduates were featured in the same game. Uh, I'm not sure if that was specific to uh, players playing against each other or if they were even if they were teammates. If it was still what accounted, regardless, first time that's happened. Um, if you're unfamiliar with the NBA Academy, I myself, to be quite honest, was a little bit unclear. Uh, basically, a basketball development. Uh, program that the NBA has kind of set up. Uh, I'm kind of quote paraphrasing from the Wikipedia article because honestly, I wasn't sure um, a lot about it, but um, basically just helps uh, players develop their talents, gives them some support as they're trying to, uh, you know, make their way into, you know, the NBA or 
you know, become better basketball players, the G League, you know, things like that. So it's just a support system sort of a thing. So regardless, they make some history there. Pretty cool to see that. Uh, Dwight Howard, of course, the one-time best center in the NBA, a multiple-time defensive player of the year, but who in his last four or five years has definitely um, lost that all-star luster. He's become more of a role player, and he's gotten older over that time. He just recently signed a contract with the Taiwan Leopards, which is a pro team in Taiwan in their highest rated uh, level of basketball competition in Taiwan. And he'll be playing for them. Uh, Kind of an interesting move. You usually hear about former NBA players, if they're going to play overseas, Uh, the big one would be in the CBA in China. uh, If not, usually in some sort of a European league, but Dwight Howard choosing to play in Taiwan. uh, I guess basketball is pretty big in Taiwan as well. Not as big as baseball, but Still pretty cool to see he's going to still be able to play. Um, you know, he's had his moments, but he's a player that I, I like to see do well um, for whatever reason. Just in the last few years, I've kind of felt that way. So so cool for him. A couple more items from our key news. This is more of a kind of a factoid. Uh, with last night's performance, Luka Doncic now has nine straight 30-point games to start this season, which officially makes uh, puts him into the second-best such streak to start an NBA season, moving him ahead of one of Wilt Chamberlain's runs of eight straight 30-point games. But the number one is a different Wilt Chamberlain streak. In his legendary 1962-1963 season, I believe that's a season in which he averaged 50 points a game. Let me go ahead and pull that up to confirm. Uh, ooh, actually, it was the next year that he averaged, uh, the year after that he averaged 50 points. The very next season was when he started the year uh, with 23 straight 30 point games. But in 1963 season, he only averaged 44.8 points per game. So a big drop off for Wilt there the very next year. Um, that's definitely sarcastic. 44 points is still ridiculous. That 1962 season, just a side note, of course, Wilt setting all sorts of records that will probably never be beaten, averaged 39 and a half field goal attempts a game, 48 and a half minutes per game, 50 points a game, 25 boards a game. That wasn't even his highest rebounding total per game. Um, that was also the same year that Oscar Robertson averaged the first ever triple double for a season, but neither of them won MVP as Bill Russell won the MVP that year and the Celtics won the championship as they would, they had done before and would actually continue to do many more years after, uh, it seems in this time, the sixties, there was a much, much higher premium placed on winning teams and especially playoff performance as compared to statistical impact uh, as compared to nowadays and what voters look for in an MVP candidate. But regardless, um, just a cool thing to see Doncic, you know, kind of rewriting the history books in some sense. Again, his nine straight 30-point games start the season is now second behind Wilt Chamberlain in the 1963 season when he started with 23 straight can Doncic uh, meet that or you know break that record? It's possible. It's going to be very hard to do that, though. Um, regardless, just kind of a cool factoid 
again, just to clarify what I said before, the 1962 season was when Wilt averaged 50. The next year he averaged 44, but he started with 23 straight 30-point games. Finally, our last news item, uh, Kyrie Irving actually finally did meet with Commissioner Adam Silver and uh, reported they had a pretty productive conversation about his recent events with his uh, Instagram post, Instagram, Twitter, uh, something social media post with that book and or movie that had uh, anti-Semitic tropes involved. Um, He finally got around to issuing an apology. Adam Silver has publicly spoken about the issue saying that Kyrie Irving needs to do more. So now they've had a personal meeting and it sounds like that that was a productive meeting. So that takes us through our key news. Let's segue into our award races conversation. This is something we've lightly touched on. We've done our weekly MVPs up to this point. Um, Of course, yesterday we named Kevin Durant the MVP for week three, but now we're going to look at some candidates for the season-long MVP, who we think is going to be in the top of the group. And I haven't made my final picks for this at the moment, but I've picked some names that I think should be in the conversation. Um, In the MVP race, I, I essentially took the top 10 in points per game average, because usually if you're a high scorer, you're going to be pretty high up in an MVP conversation. We have currently still seven players in the 30 or more points per game average. I think that will drop off, even though scoring is higher than ever. But um, regardless, looking at these players, I mean, we've got Luca, Steph Curry, Giannis, Donovan Mitchell, Jason Tatum, Durant, Shea Gilders-Alexander, John Morant, Trey Young, and Devin Booker. Those are the top 10 in scoring per game right now. And I think those are a pretty solid set of names to have in your consideration for an MVP vote. Right now, if you had to pick, uh, it'd probably be a pretty safe bet, and I know this was a lot of people's preseason pick, uh, to go with Luka Doncic. I mean, scoring isn't always the biggest factor for an MVP, I mean, you look at the last several years with uh, Nikola Jokic. He's been a, a very productive scorer, but he's not the high scorer in the NBA. But he's what he does with that triple threat, his passing vision, his uniqueness as a player, and his ability to power Denver to wins, that's really helped get him that recognition as a back-to-back MVP. With Luka, it's a similar story, uh, but his is more – he is a great scorer. I mean, 36 points a game right now. Again, we talked about that streak of uh, points per game, uh, points in a game to start each each game of the season. Nine straight with 30-plus points is phenomenal. But he's doing much more than that. Eight and a half rebounds, eight and a half assists. And these are the kind of stats we've been used to with Luka. High rebounds, high assists, good scoring. But now his scoring is even higher. He's efficient. He's doing solid on the defensive end, at least with the steals, one and uh, nearly two steals a game. Um, But more importantly, he's kind of single-handedly powering Dallas to wins. I mean, you look at their roster, they currently have Christian Wood coming off the bench still, which I think is an interesting, you know, idea. I personally would maybe disagree, but then again, I've never played or coached or managed in the NBA, so I have no clue. My fans' perspective, I would wonder why he's not starting. But regardless, they don't have an incredible depth of talent. 
you look at the roster, he's starting, of course. You add Dinwiddie, who can be a capable scorer, but the last game, for example, he didn't score very much at all. Um, and then they have some some solid players around him, some players trying to return from injury, especially like a, a Tim Hardaway, who I think left early in this last game with uh, potential injury as well. Um you know, they've had some players who've been a little more disappointing. Bertans, of course, in the playoffs last year was an enigma, kind of similar to the uh, whole Duncan Robinson situation. But he's kind of keeping Dallas afloat and keeping them in the top group in the West. They're six and three right now. And you compare their talent to what other teams have and their team cohesion, you know, with the talent they have, you might normally expect them to be middle of the pack near uh, kind of around the Pelicans, Spurs, Timberwolves area, but they're above that. And that's because Luca is, you know, doing what he needs to, to help make sure this team is winning. So I think Luca, as many people predicted, is kind of your, your main pick for an MVP. You'd also have to highlight Giannis and there is a voter fatigue where he's won it twice before, but I mean, nine and one, they were undefeated 32 points, 12 boards, the defensive numbers, uh, the assists. I mean, he just does everything on the floor for them. He's been phenomenal. You also should definitely lump Donovan Mitchell into that conversation simply because of how well Cleveland's been doing. And his improvement as a player, efficiency-wise, scoring-wise, him leading that Cleveland team, I think he would be the other voice you definitely have to lump into that conversation. So those are my three names to talk about with MVP right now. Luka leading that pack followed by Giannis and then Donovan Mitchell. Looking at Defensive Player of the Year, this is still real early returns, and it's harder to find the statistics. You kind of rely a little bit more on um, the the advanced metrics, and I haven't had a ton of time to look at that. I just wanted to share some names. I won't make like a real pick, but I'll share the five names that have stood out to me when looking at this. I have Giannis, of course. Again, he does it on both ends of the floor for as much as he needs to be in the MVP conversation. He also needs to be in the defensive player of the year conversation. Then I'd like to add Anthony Davis. I know the Lakers are struggling, but Anthony Davis, two blocks, one and a half steals, the length plus the rebounds, 10 rebounds a game. He's not quite as stellar as he was in uh, new Orleans, but he needs to get a little bit more recognition for his defensive play. I think Uh, I might be a little bit biased though. Then OG Ananobi, I think on NBA's official defensive ladder for where they rank players as far as their contention in the awards, they have him three as well. He's leading the league right now in steals, three steals a game. I'm not sure that will quite hold up, but he's also got nearly a block, um, six boards. He's playing kind of a, a two guard right now, two or a three. They move him around, but he's been doing great on ball. Uh, Shea Gilders Alexander, you know, he's a guy that I have in that, you know, mix of maybe a throw him in an MVP conversation with the numbers he's put up. Certainly defensive player of the year, two steals, one and a half blocks. And I think he had like three or four blocks in their last game this last night against uh, against Detroit, along with 31 points a game. Just another name to consider. Finally, I have Avica Zubats of the Clippers in there. Uh, he's got two and a half blocks along with 11 rebounds. So I think there's a lot of interesting possible candidates for this, but those are some names to keep in mind going forward. 
rookie of the year, this really is kind of a two-horse race, and it's really led by just one guy. Paolo Bencaro is head and shoulders above so far this far in the season, head and shoulders above what all the other rookies have done. 23.5 points a game, eight rebounds, three and a half assists. The defensive numbers are actually pretty good for a rookie. And his uh, turnovers and fouls are not bad at all. He's looked strong. He's looked poised. He has not seemed intimidated by the NBA game. And he's been incredible. Benedict Mathurin is has been solid as well. He had a really hot start and has dropped off a little bit. Still averaging 19 a game, uh, three rebounds, two assists. Um, but otherwise, the rest of the the possible candidates are still finding their footing. You know, Jaden Ivey, Keegan Murray, J- Jabari Smith Jr., those are the only other three rookies in double-digit scoring averages right now for points per game. Jabari Smith Jr. only averaging 10 points a game. So, really, Bancaro leads the way, but it's early on. Expect some players to make some surges and to find their footing and maybe make this a little bit more interesting going forward. Uh, three names to talk about with most improved player. I think Donovan Mitchell, you could have him up there. You know, of course he's been an all-star before, but now he's in an MVP type conversation, more efficient, more scoring, a little better all around type game, more engaged defensively. I think that's a great pick. Shagildas Alexander, 31 points up from what was it? 23, 24 last year, along with the defensive stuff you know, leading team, the team to being competitive when no one really expected them to be ultra competitive, or at least I didn't. I think that's a good job by him. Keldon Johnson, you can maybe throw in there with the team success and his solid play. Anthony Simons, maybe uh, 22 points. He's starting games for them. I would definitely say we need to talk about Lowry Markinen. We haven't talked a lot about any jazz players in award races because there's not really anyone in the first three, but most improved Larry Markinen's been having a great year so far for Utah. And he's been their leading player on, you know, right now, the number one team in the West. I don't think they'll stay there, but uh, we have to acknowledge what he's doing. There's some names to consider in that most improved conversation. Finally, sixth man of the year. There's a lot of interesting players in this conversation, we could start with Mathurin, who's leading guys, this this group of players who have started, you know, a couple of games, if that. Most of these names haven't started any. Um, but kind of leading that group of bench guys who are scoring good off the bench, scoring well, 19 points a game. Otherwise, Westbrook, who started some games early but is now coming off the bench, I think would be kind of your lead candidate at the moment as far as what he's able to bring off the bench. You know, the 16 points, five boards, or sorry, six boards, six assists, and a steal. You know, it might be a better fit for them long-term, and he's playing pretty effectively. I think his percentages might even be better. Um, but regardless, I think that's a good pick. Three other names to consider. Christian Wood, as I mentioned earlier, coming off the bench for Dallas. 16 points, eight boards. That's some pretty nice production to come off the bench. For the Jazz, we'll bring in another name, Colin Sexton. 15 points, three boards, two assists. And he's been in some nice late game scenarios for them. And Jordan Poole, 15 points, five assists. Uh, and of course, we know the scoring he's able to bring off the bench 
for them as far as kind of an instant spark. Lastly, I'll throw out some names kind of solely based on record and what the teams have done for coach of the year. I think your number one pick right now would be J.B. Bickerstaff. Um, You know, with the start that Cleveland's gotten off to, eight and two, and how well that team is playing, the consistency, the talent, you know, and that's been like a, a long time coming that they've been working on that. I think that'd be good to see him get that reward uh, or that award rather followed closely by Will Hardy, the jazz coach nine and three is hard to argue with. It's the best record in the West. Uh, one of the best three records in the NBA. He's done a great job there. Another name, Chauncey Billups, Portland's third in the West right now. And they've been able to get some wins in t- close games, tough situations. They've kept things afloat without Lillard. He's done a great job there. The last two names, Mike Budenholzer, Monty Williams. Those are two names. I think they might have both already won it. And they're the two top teams, but they're also the two teams you expect to be there. So those might not be likely picks, but they're deserving picks in this conversation of Coach of the Year. So that kind of takes us through uh, most of what I wanted to talk about with our award races conversation, looking at things right now. Uh, The names to kind of look out for. Maybe we see some names join the fray, kind of, you know, push somebody out of the conversation. But that's where things stand right now, from my point of view, as far as the award races are concerned. With that, that takes us through our show today. Again, a little bit of a shorter show. I know I didn't have a co-host to help kind of bounce uh, ideas off of, provide further insight. Um, But we are now fully caught up on games. We have all the key news we have an outlook for our award chases going forward. Uh, it'll be exciting to come back tomorrow and visit that slate of games. Real quick, let's hit our This Day in History fact for November 8th, because today's fact is a, is a great one. Okay. This Day in History, November 8th, 1978. The Philadelphia 76ers and the New Jersey Nets, Nets began a game where the final 17 minutes and 50 seconds of the contest was replayed later in the season on March 23rd of 1979 due to a protest being upheld. Now here's where it gets really interesting. Harvey Catchings and Ralph Simpson played for the 76ers and Eric Money and Al Skinner played for the Nets when the game began, when they first played the game on this day in 1978. However, these those players were traded to the opposing teams by the time the game was resumed in March of 1979. So because of that fact, it's the only time in the history of professional sports that any player played for both teams technically in the same game. And you can find this box score, it's on Basketball Reference, Again, it's the New Jersey Nets at the Philadelphia Philadelphia 76ers, November 8th of 1978. The final, final score, the Sixers won this game 123 to 117. And the box score is pretty hilarious to look at. For the New Jersey Nets, Eric Money scored 23 points. Uh, Let's see. Yeah, Eric Money scored 23 points. Harvey Catchings added eight points off the bench. Ralph Simpson uh, played but did not score for the Nets. Meanwhile, for the 76ers, 
Uh, Ralph Simpson scored eight points. Eric Money scored four points. And Harvey Catchings played but did not provide any uh, additional scoring or uh, stats of any kind. So let's see. Al Skinner was the other name. I think that might be a mix-up because I don't see his name on, on any of these uh, box scores. So those three players, Eric Money, Harvey Catchings, and Ralph Simpson, played and a few of them scored for both teams in this game. Remarkable. Um, yeah, Eric Money, 23 for the Nets, but only four for the Sixers. Unbelievable. What an incredible, uh, you know, fun fact to share with you guys. And I also, I had actually heard of this before, thanks to a great video that Secret Base, formerly SB Nation, that Secret Base did on this subject. It's in their Weird Rules series. Uh, let's see, what is the name? The guy that started it. Um, Ryan Simmons, I think he's the one who started this particular series. In this episode, he's joined by Seth Rosenthal. Um, but yeah, this the video, if you want to watch a video that explains a little bit more about it, it's called An NBA Player Once Played for Both Teams in the Same Game We Can Explain. Uh, it's a great video. It's only six minutes. I highly recommend it. And I rec- recommend all the content they have. They've got a lot of great stuff um, on their channel. But again, just a great factoid to talk about. With that, that takes us through our Tuesday uh, schedule. Wednesday's show, we're going to We'll do some game summaries, of course, from the Wednesday slate of games, kind of as they happen. Uh, We're going to talk about kind of the league as a whole. We'll talk league storylines, try and do some playoff previews. Again, it might be early, but see what we think uh, some playoff teams might be, who the contenders are. Uh, And, of course, we will do our weekly prediction segment. Hopefully by tomorrow I have a stronger name than just bold predictions. You know, hopefully we have a little bit more of an interesting name. We'll do those things along with, again, our game summaries and our key news. Uh, But that will be Wednesday's schedule, and we'll be joined by Justin for that show. With that, I uh, thank you again for listening to the podcast. Uh, Stay tuned for tomorrow's show with Justin. And again, thanks for listening.